0: This is Jewish board talk with Chere Zifford, only on 101.9 high FM.
1: I now talk to my brother Dr. Lewis Levis in Melbourne. Lewis has one of the largest Antarctic memorabilia from the heroic age of exploration. He joins me now to tell me more about this fascinating topic of which I know very little. Uh, Lewis, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you for inviting me She.
1: Lewis, can you take me back to hundred and fifty years? before people knew what that Antarctic was and what it was like to be an explorer in 1900.
0: In 1900, people knew more about the rest of the world than they knew about Antarctica. They didn't know if there was a continent in Antarctica, if it was a big island. It had only been seen by one person called James Ross in 1840. And people at the time were on boats that navigated with compasses, and compasses are basically a magnet. And they wanted to know, they knew where the North Pole was, but they had no idea where the South Pole was. And if you did this and if you knew where the South Pole was, you could maybe navigate a bit better. And if you could navigate better, you could trade better. So there was an in, a need to try to find where the South Pole was. And if it was a land, were there people there, were there animals there? There was this huge drive by many European countries to try to find this southern country or the southern land. What got my interest was that I didn't know the difference between the North Pole and the South Pole. And it turns out the North Pole is a, the, the top of the world where all compass, where the world took, you know, if the world spins on an axis, this would be the north, northern axis. And it's in the middle of a sea. So during the winter, it's frozen and during the summer, it's frozen a bit less, but it's still a sea. Whereas the South Pole is a totally different concept. It's a huge continent. And for sailing boats, which came in the 1900s or the, the, you know, 1901 to, let's say, 1920, when they were sailing from New Zealand or Australia, they would come across huge icebergs. And then if they could get through these icebergs, they came to a huge shelf, a mountainous range, something like the Drakensberg, made of ice. And this is not what they expected. They expected some kind of country. But there was a huge shelf of ice running hundreds of kilometers. And they couldn't dock their ships there because it was 50 meters or 100 meters high. So they had to go along this big mountain range until they could find a place to um, dock their ships. And they found this not far and found a little island where they could do this on and the amazing thing for them is on the island, they had volcanoes. So for these explorers, they came to a volcano at the end of the world where they could anchor their ships. And then they wanted to go explore to find the South Pole and also the magnetic South Pole. And they didn't know, should they take dogs? Should they take uh, uh, horses? Should they take uh, ponies? And each expedition who went, and there were lots of expeditions, learned something a little bit more. So the first one learned to take a stove. The next one learned to take dogs. Then they tried ponies and ponies were used, but they were not as good as dogs because frankly, you could eat your dogs and you can't eat your ponies and your dogs can eat your other dogs. So it was a self-fulfilling fuel reserve. And I got interested in it because I just thought how brave people were to take boats across what's called the roaring 40s or the furious 50s or the screaming 60s to get to a country or a land, and to explore. And it all started when I bought a letter written by Robert Scott saying that he was going to take cocoa when he was going to uh, Antarctica. And I had this tangible evidence of a of a brave man who went there. And then I decided to follow it up. I tried to find out who he had bought the cocoa from, and that was Fry, who, which eventually became Cadbury's in, in Bristol. And then I bought more letters and more letters, and the more I bought and the more I collected, the more tangible these heroic names are. So to me, if I think of Scott, instead of just thinking of an explorer who who, who never who people think of as dying heroically on the way back from the uh, South Pole, I think of him more as a person because I've got letters that he wrote. I've got letters from his crew. I've got books that he wrote. I've got books that his crew members wrote. And these people become real for me. So where some people say, ah, oh, Scott was beaten to the South Pole by Amherstyn, when I collect Amherstyn's signature and Amiston's books, I can see that they were different people. Emerson was there for a race. He wanted to get to the South Pole and back. He had basically trained himself as a teenager to to live in cold conditions, which they have in Norway. He knew how to use dogs. His dogs were well-disciplined. He even took a chef so that he didn't have to worry about cooking on his expeditions and he made a dash for the pole he he was so well prepared that whereas Scott and his colleagues died of starvation on the way back Amundsen came back having got to the south pole first having put on weight and it's the different personalities that i enjoy and it's about the different personalities making them real, which is why I collect all of their artifacts.
1: Lewis, uh, you are clearly an Antarctic enthusiast, uh, as you've gotten to know the people more. You've wanted to share information about them as well. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your pack of cards?
0: So, during COVID, everybody was locked down, and I thought, what could I do to pass the time? And as Antarctic collection is a passion, I thought, well, people... Go on ships and they go on boats. It used to take three months to get to Antarctica from England. Why don't I make an Antarctic game sort of like Monopoly about getting to Antarctica on a boat? And then I thought, no, that's going to be too difficult, but at least I can make a set of cards. So what I did is I am friends with an Antarctic um, a blogger, per blogger and also an Antarctic artist. And we sat together and I collected a name of 12 people who I thought would be the most important antarctic explorers and i collected history about them and the antarctic artists drew their their figures and i sat down with a graphic designer and it took a while and eventually we had a set of cards with what i thought were the most important antarctic explorers and i tried to be fair so i included some american and some chinese uh japanese explorers because they were also Uh, Players in the game, but not quite as famous as the British ones. And eventually I had a product. I had Antarctica, uh, a pack of cards, and the Mawson Hut Foundation, which is the main foundation in Australia, which looks after Mawson's Hut on Antarctica, you know, they bought, they're, they're buying 100 packs of cards. And hopefully these cards will be used on on ships going to Antarctica and to the Arctic where people, when they play cards, can look at the name and say, oh, this is Crean, or this is Scott, or this is Shackleton, or this is a Shirase, and learn a little bit more about the explorers, because every little bit of knowledge about Antarctica, whether what to eat, what to wear, what kind of weather there is, how the weather there affects us, how the melting of the ice there might affect us in the future, all of this was Knowledge slowly gained by people who, until about 1930, had to fight terrible elements. They were cold. A lot of the time they were hungry. They were suffering from scurvy. And for the most part, what amazes me, especially the British ones with their Edwardian background, is how good-natured they were and how full of energy and a feeling of friendship a bond a bond to them. Or, or, or They had that bond. They would put on plays on a Saturday uh, evening where they would play music and play on the would take a piano down, they would sing on it with a banjo, and they would generally have a great time exploring. The fact that they were hungry or freezing did not seem to bother them that much, and they kept, those that could, meticulous writing and meticulous diaries. And not only that, one of them called Dooley, he... Took down the names and the songs of all the, that were sung on the boats coming down from England because each ship would have its own songs and its own shanties and you could tell where a sailor had been by the same shanties and the songs that they wrote. And I found this absolutely fascinating.
1: Lewis, among all those that you've studied and collected on and gotten to know, do you have a favorite?
0: I have two favorites. The one is signatures by what a group of people called the Ross Sea Party. Now they went down to the uh, Ross Sea, which is this, the closest part of Antarctica to New Zealand to wait for Shackleton, who was crossing Antarctica. But when they got there, their boat was blown away with all, most of their food and most of their clothes and most of their provisions. So they were stuck down in Antarctica with hardly any food, no clothes, and a mission to set up depots of food for Shackleton, who was supposed to be coming across. And they had the most horrific time. They had to make uh, clothes out of tents that they had. They had to find the old tents of Scott and uh, Shackleton, who had been there before, and scavenge for food. Yet through all of this, they managed to set up their depots. They did the longest dog sled a journey ever done in Antarctica, and they managed to do their mission, and most of them survived. One died of exposure and hunger, and two died because they were impatient to cross the ice, and they thought that they could walk across the ice to one of their huts before the ice had frozen, and unfortunately, those two died. But when they came back, they were regarded as heroes, and they signed a diary which i have and when they left new zealand after having survived some of them were torpedoed and they drowned either near australia or they died of typhus in malta fighting in the first world war so the signatures that i have are probably the last signatures some of these very brave heroes signed before either dying or drowning and to me, it's a testament to these people because now that I have their signatures, I can go back and read the diaries and the books of the people from their group who survived. And I just realize what brave, adventurous people can be and how people can still, in the most terrible adversary, uh, complete their goals and mm-hmm. do what's expected of them, which is an Edwardian trait. They believed in duty. They believed that if you gave your word, you kept it. And they did everything for what they regarded the most important thing was for the good of the empire.
1: Lewis, you've been to Antarctica?
0: I've been to Antarctica, but I've been to the part of Antarctica closer to South America. I don't do well on boats, and they, there's a reason why they call the, the roaring 40s, the furious 50s, and the screaming 60s, because these are the latitudes you cross, and the winds are horrific, and the waves are... Massive, And most people are very, very sick crossing the Drake's Passage. And I remember being sick on a school tour in Standard 4. So I flew to a place called King George Island. And then I joined the tour from there. And it was amazing to be on a boat and to hear whales surfacing and blowing out in air and then diving under the boat. And to realize that these are huge, gentle creatures. Our idea of, waves from Moby Dick is, of whales from Moby Dick is totally incorrect. These are huge, lovely mammals. And to see them in their natural environment was possibly one of the highlights of my life.
1: Lewis, thank you so much for joining me and for taking us on this journey and taking us back in time and for allowing us to escape to another era. Yeah, I've been fascinated about your collection for a while. I don't know enough about it, as I probably should, but I certainly look forward to learning more about it. Thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: That was Dr. Lewis Levitz, who has one of the largest Antarctic memorabilia from the heroic age of exploration.